You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, happy Father's Day to you. We are super glad that you are here today. Uh, in fact, I want to uh, just welcome you. If you, How many of you in the room, by the way, you uh, have ever had a dad? Just raise your hand. <laughs> Trick question. That's right. We've all, some of the, that's the way it works. But uh, whether you've had a good dad, whether you've had a not great earthly father, you're going to find out that God is a good, good father. Uh, I lost my father a number of years ago, and I found out in that time since that he is still, God is just a good, good father. I've got my, my mom is here today, uh, and my stepdad, Dave, will you guys just wave real quick? They're here from Southern California. And uh, God has given us a great adopted dad in you, Dave, so thank you. Uh, my brother, Doug, and my sister-in-law, Sabrina, and my nieces and nephews, will you guys just wave real quick? What's up? Way to go, guys. Um, just awesome to have them here. They're, they live up in the Lincoln area, but we're all getting together after church, and so what a great uh, chance to be together as family. And whether today you are missing your earthly dad, or whether today you know that that's a strained relationship, or whether today gets weird in your family or not, we just want you to know that you have a good, good father. And the scriptures say that God is a father to the fatherless, and he puts the lonely in families. And so even if your family has gone through transition, even if it's gotten weird, I want you to know today that God loves you. He's going to assure you of his love, and that's because he is a good, good father. also want to welcome back our Mexico team. If you're on the Mexico trip, will you just wave real quick? Right here, a number of you. So awesome. Just great to see you. Uh, uh, our missions team, uh, just you guys, it's using the gifts that God has given you to go down south and to be able to do some construction and to be able to teach kids soccer, or maybe they taught you soccer. I'm not sure how that works. Um, but just being able to bless some of the least of these in our world and using your resources, your time, your treasure, your talents to be able to make a difference in our world. And I wanted to say how great it was to see what God did as you met challenges and then also as God allowed you to overcome those, how God put his team together and the work he did through you was just awesome. I'm so proud to be a part of a church that just reaches out beyond the walls of even our state and across the world. And uh, great to have you guys back. And I want you to realize that as we begin this series, it's called Seven Questions. We looked at the first one last week, but there's seven questions in the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi is interesting because it's Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. After God speaks in the book of Malachi, there are 400 silent years where God didn't send a particular prophet to the nation of Israel. They still had the law. They still had the word written down of the prophets, but they didn't have the New Testament yet. Jesus hadn't shown up, so they're waiting. They're waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for hope. And finally, Jesus shows up. But in the book of Malachi, God begins to send the prophet Malachi to address two things with the nation of Israel. One, God had wanted to assure Israel of his love, that I love you, that I have loved you, that I will continue to love you. God is saying, I love you. And he wants to address their disobedience. So he wants to assure them of his love, but he wants to address the ways where maybe you and I get caught up doing business as usual. And the conditions of the culture in Malachi's day were very much like they are in our day. Uh, they questioned the institution of marriage. They questioned whether uh, they didn't trust how people handled money or the church or organized religion handled money. Uh, they didn't trust that God would, would actually love them and that they could closely draw close to the Lord. They didn't trust those things. 
And let me tell you that I believe the church in America and the church in Elk Grove and the church across the world, we need to be reassured of God's love. And we need to have our disobedience challenged. And I believe over the next four weeks that God is going to do some work in your heart because we are the most addicted culture. We are the most entitled culture. We are the most medicated generation. We are the most self-serving. We are the most uh, entitled and we're quickly becoming really the unhappiest culture, the unhappiest generation. And our cultural direction is showing to us that we need to be reassured of God's love, but we also need business as usual to be challenged. And I believe that your life personally needs to be challenged, not just the church in general, but your life. And I believe that God will challenge you to trust him over the next four weeks and follow him more closely potentially than you ever have. I believe that God will challenge you to trust the institution of marriage that he created and stop compromising it or stop trying to find a loophole out of it. That he will say, listen, you either commit to marriage or you commit to abstinence and stop trying to make another way. I believe that God will challenge you to trust him with your money, with your resources, and to stop cutting corners and return to him the tithe. I believe that God will refine your regard for his place in your life. And the first question that the people ask in the book of Malachi, they ask this, they said, how have you loved us? And the beautiful thing about the seven questions in the book of Malachi, they are all questions that the people, people like you, people like me, that we ask God. And then God uses the questions that we've asked him, and he turns around and uses those to refine us. So last week as we looked, we said, God, how have you loved us? That's what the people ask. And oftentimes you and I don't express that in our heart. We hold on to it. That's an unspoken thing on the inside. We're like, God, how have you loved us? And we found out that, you know what, we need to trust God's love. That God revealed to the people of Israel, look at I have restored you back into the promised land. But the Edomites, I've not restored them. And the nation of Israel, the nation of Edom, they all came from twins. It's the same in a sense of family line. But I've restored you and not them. I am for you. I've chosen you specifically. My love is for you. I have loved you. I will love you. I will continue to love you. And God wants you to know that irrespective of what has happened this week or this month or this year, that God loves you. He has, he will, and he will continue to love you. God loves you, but he wants to challenge also our disobedience. So the first question they ask is, God, how have you loved us? And we found out that God reveals how he has loved us, that he gave his first and his best, his son Jesus, to us to die on a cross, that he gave us what was pure and without spot or stain or sin or blemish, the perfect son of God, to hang on the cross for us. He gave us the best to cancel out sin so that when you and I put our faith and trust in him, we can have eternal life with him. He, is, he has loved us. But then we ask another question. Malachi chapter one, if you'll open your Bibles, Malachi chapter one, beginning with verse six. On a fitting day like today, he says this, a son honors his father. And in that culture, right, a slave, his master. God says, if I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, 
Where's the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, and here's the next question that they ask. They ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? So the first question is, how has you loved us? The second question is, how have we shown contempt for your name? Now, we live in a culture that, that learns contempt really easily, don't we? I mean, all we got to do is watch political ads, and we see contempt from one toward the other, right? We live in a culture that easily elevates a person, then with contempt, we shoot them down. We've learned contempt between husband and wife. We've learned contempt between an employer and an employee. We live in a culture that easily is able to show contempt. Sometimes we even contempt things. Now, I got to ask, uh, how many of you, if you were buying a car, safety features would be one of the things that you would consider in choosing a car? You'd find out, is it, is it safe, right? A lot of us, because we, we like to protect ourselves. We, we, we're invested in ourselves. We want to make sure if the unthinkable happens, if an accident happens, that, that we would be safe. And, and how many of you just, I'm just curious just to find out, how many of you, if you were buying a car, safety features might be like number one or number two, like they're really, really important to you. Okay, a lot of you in here, right? Okay, so let me just say, if, for example, safety features were tops for you, if they were super important to you, how many of you would buy this car? <laughs> right? I mean, come on, if you could afford it, and if it was available, how cool would that be, right? You just drive on down, you get stuck in traffic, no problem. You just drive over the car in front of you. Um, you know, somebody ticks you off, you let them get way ahead, you just line that cannon up, right? So you would do it, you'd be like, that'd be awesome, right? You know, and, and so we have high respect for that, man. If you saw that thing going down the road, you would be like, get out of the way. Like you would show massive respect for that vehicle. Uh, but we show contempt for vehicles too, don't we? See, maybe if safety features didn't mean anything to you, you were all about just, hey, I want the car I want, I don't care a thing about safety features, you might buy this car. <laughs> right? Now, some of you are younger, you're like, I don't get it. But that's the Ford Pinto, and you got to realize something about the Ford Pinto. The Ford Pinto had a defect that it had the gas tank right in the very back by that little metal bumper, and in very, very minor rear-end collisions, just little teeny fender better, the car would explode in a fiery mass, okay? So if you didn't care, you would be like that. In fact, wouldn't it be crazy if Ford Motor Company came out and said, hey, we're going to re-release the Pinto? How many of you would laugh, like, right? There wouldn't be a Ford, it wouldn't sell. By the way, if you do own that car and you parked in the church parking lot, could you just move it to the street? That'd be, that'd be great. I don't, we don't need that here. We don't need, you know, any of your neighbor's cars catching on fire, nothing, right? But we wouldn't do that. We, we, we show contempt for that car. The fact that we laugh, the fact that we might know the history of the Ford Pinto makes us laugh. Why? Because we show contempt for that car. We get in relationships. Sometimes in relationships, we show contempt for somebody. We may still give them their title, but we show contempt for relationship. You might say, that's my boss. And you give them their title, but you show contempt for your boss in your heart. You might say, that's my husband or my wife. That's my spouse. But is it possible to hold on to contempt and disrespect in your heart for one another? See, it's very possible for you and I that because we get desperate, because we get jaded, because we do business as usual, it's very possible for you and I to hold some contempt in our heart. It's possible for us to have an appearance of honor, right? Like, God, I honor you. I'm here in church today. 
I go to church somewhat regularly. I, I might even sing to you. I got, I'm, gonna, I, I'm a Christian, you might say. I'm a believer. I have faith. You might say all these statements. And so it's, it's possible to have an appearance of honoring God, but in reality, we actually give him which costs us nothing. You're God. I'm going to honor you. But in reality, if we look at the evidence of our life, if we look at the fruit of our life, not just our talk, but the fruit of our life, we realize I'm sacrificing to you that which costs me nothing. I'm just doing business as usual. And could it be that you and I might be unaware of our disobedience to God? Well, there's two things God wants to do. He wants to assure you of his love and he wants to challenge your disobedience. The people ask God this question, quote, how have we shown contempt for your name? Well, God answers, if you have your Bible open to Malachi chapter one, beginning with verse seven, God says to the people, he says this, by, by offering defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. He goes on and says this, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. I picture just for a minute, this is what was happening. The people were to give to God as part of their tithe and then give to God as part of the remission of sins, animal sacrifices. And they were to give the best, the best animal, the one without a blemish. Not the, I mean, really, they would want to give the one that they could get the highest price for at market. Don't give the lame one. Don't give the three-legged one. Don't give the two-headed one. Give the, you know, the best one. Don't give the one with any blemish or disease or tumor. Give the best one to God that we honor God with the first and the best and we trust him with the rest. That they were to honor God in that way, but they were doing the swap. Could you imagine saying, Dad, today, Dad, I want to honor you. And so in order to honor you today on this Father's Day, Dad, what I want to do is I want to prepare a special meal for you. So you walk over to your fridge and you open a fridge and you take out this container of leftovers. You think, Dad, I, we have created this special meal for you today. And you set it down and you take the lid off and instantly the whole room smells. There's actually mold on it. And, and you, you kind of put the lid back on. You're like, we're going to put this in the microwave because the microwave fixed everything, right? That's what it does. That's what the microwave does. So we stick it in the microwave. We're just going to, we're going to assume that the microwave just cooks that thing up and it's going to take care of that mold. It's going to take care of that stuff. And then you put it before your dad and, and is he going to feel special? No, he's going to say, you're trying to kill me. I knew it all along. That's what the people were doing. The Old Testament law clearly prohibited sacrifices with blemishes. We're to give God our first, our best, and to trust him with the rest. But they were giving, listen, leftovers. God, I'm going to just give you the leftovers. Not my best. And God, I'm going to reveal by my actions that you're actually not a priority. I'm just doing business as usual. Well, if you're taking notes today in your program, you can take that out. And we ask the question, how do you offer God defiled sacrifices. The answer is make serving and sacrificing not sacrificial. It really costs me very little. And you say, well, I do certain things or I have done certain things in the past, but the reality, what you're doing or what you have done, it's really not sacrificial. It really costs you very, very little. 
well, how do we offer defiled leftovers? It's interesting because they say, how have we shown contempt for your name? In other words, we directly have been contemptible to who you are, God. And then the second follow-up question is, well, how have we defiled you? Well, how do we defile, give God defiled offerings? Listen, I'm a pastor, right? God's given me a gift in, in speaking and teaching and, and preparing and, and delivering his word. That's, that's one of the gifts he's given me. I have that talent. Not everybody has that talent. You have talents that I don't have. I can't do what you do. I wouldn't have the audience with who you have audience with. God has given you abilities and talents that I don't have. But for me as a pastor, how would I offer defiled abilities? Well, listen, if my sermon has funny content and cute sayings, but if it lacks God's word, then it is defiled. If it is sloppy, if it's unprepared, if it is cold and uncompassionate, I mean, Lord forbid that a pastor show any compassion. If it's filled with hate speech, if it's filled with ridiculous statements that Jesus himself would condemn a pastor for saying, then it is a defiled offering. If it's not filled with the preparation of prayer for you and preparation of prayer for me, then it's defiled. It wouldn't be offering my best to God. I'd just simply be showing up. Well, you've got talents. You've got abilities to offer to God. You've got amazing ones that I don't have. And God wants you and I to take our abilities, not only our trust. God, do we trust you? Have you loved us? But now he's transitioning. He's moving from trust and now he's moving to the arena of talents, the arena of your abilities, the arena of your gifts that he's given you to serve in his church, to be the church to a lost world. And he's saying, when you come to bring your abilities, when you come to bring your talents, when you come to bring your gift, you're offering me defiled gifts. I love that our Mexico team is, is back. I just heard from Mark Land, who led the team. And uh, it's interesting because one of the things he said is it was just neat to see how of all the people who were there, they maybe had this much giftedness in any given area, but it was exactly enough of what was needed to complete the project. So they didn't have like a super construction person. They had just enough so that the construction could happen. They didn't have a super soccer teacher or player, but they had enough to make that happen. They didn't, and just in every area, how God took our little, but he made much happen out of it with a team that went there in Mexico. It was just a beautiful thing. Well, why? Why do we use our gifts? Why should we use our talents? God, why should we offer these to you? And I want you to understand something. Number two in your outline is this. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. This is one of our core values at Sun Grove Church. We are spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers. That the church doesn't exist for us. This is not just a country club. But we are the church and we exist for the world. So what happens here in this room is that God has given you abilities, me abilities, and he's not just said, hey, I just want you to use them here and never outside. God does want us to use them here, but he wants this person, he wants this place, he wants all of us as people to be the launching platform that God uses to make a difference in Elk Grove, in your workplace, in your house, across the world, in beautiful ways. But it's so easy for us to do business as usual, right? 
well, I go to my church and I get something out of it and I see my friends and I, I just, I become a spiritual consumer. I love when my church does these kind of activities. I love when my church does this. I love that they make it convenient for my kids. I love that my kids are involved in the youth ministry. I love the music. I love all the, and we begin to say all these things that we consume instead of what we're able to contribute. And God is saying, I have given you great gifts to contribute and we exist not for ourselves not for some organization or organized religion we exist for the king of kings to lift up his name to not show contempt to it but to lift up his name and use this little season this little moment of time that we have with the talents he's given us to make a difference for his kingdom in the world god goes on and says this in malachi chapter 1 verse 9 he says listen now plead with god to be gracious to us With such offerings from your hands will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. God says this, quote, verse 10, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the chief who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Listen, God literally says... If your worship is going to be hollow, if your worship is going to be contemptible, it would be better to shut the church doors and not have a service. If the noise you make is filled with contempt, if it's half-hearted, it would be better to close the doors. And and let me tell you, there are plenty of churches around the world where it would be better for the doors to be closed. It would be better for that place that's been dying and it's it's getting smaller and, and they are existing just for themselves. And they may be large or small, but it would be far better to close the doors and then relaunch and reopen with worship that's in spirit and true, sacrificial, authentic worship to the Lord Not only in what they do on the weekend, but what they do during the week. God says it's better to shut the church doors than to continue worthless worship. See, non-sacrificial worship is not satisfying, not only to the Lord, but non-sacrificial worship. Listen to me. Wow, that's pretty good. (laughs) Get a little feedback here, guys. Non-sacrificial worship is not only not satisfying to the Lord, It's not satisfying to you either. It's hollow. So you come and you say, oh yeah, I went and I tried to consume and it just just wasn't that deep spiritually for me or it just wasn't, you know, I just just, just don't feel it so much. I'm not sure that I'm hanging on to my faith. I'm not sure that I I know what's what's happened to you. It's not cost you much. See, when you and I are not invested then our worship is hollow. 
I'm not invested when I give that which costs me nothing. If it costs me nothing, I'm not really invested in it. And guess what? It's going to be hollow. It's going to be unsatisfying. And you might look back and say, there were times that I was invested and it was passionate and it was good, but, but right now I've just continued on with business as usual. Jesus in the New Testament tells a story because you think, well, maybe Dave, maybe this was just Old Testament, God criticizing the people of, of Israel. But in the New Testament, we have Jesus. He became the final sacrifice. That's why we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. The animals are happy about that. We just call it burgers now. And so we just, <laughs> Jesus became the final sacrifice for the remission of sins in the New Testament. But Jesus comes and tells a story about our abilities. Jesus comes and tells a story about how we could show contempt against the name of the Lord Almighty. And here's what he says. Let me paraphrase the beginning for you. Jesus tells a story about a master. The master would be God himself, and he's going on a journey, but he's going to entrust his stuff to three different managers on his team. And the first manager that he's going to give them talents, which in that day were an issue of money, but also deal with our abilities, our ability to manage what has been given to us. To the first one, he says, I'm going to give you five. I'm going to give you five talents. And I want you to take care of it for when I come back. And then the next guy, he says, hey, I'm going to give you two, two talents. And I want you to take care of that. And to the third person, he says, I'm going to give you one. And so he's going to go on his journey. Well, what happens is the guy with five, he leverages what he has. Whatever it is that God has given him, he leverages that for, the, for God's kingdom. And God multiplies it. He now has made like five more. He now has ten. And when he comes back and presents that to the master, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. I'll now put you in charge of much. Enter into my pleasure or my happiness. Then the guy who got two, he said, hey, I got two. I leveraged it. I made two more. And he tells the master, the master's like, good job. You had two and now you got two more and you utilized it. And so he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. I will put you in charge of much. Enter into my happiness. Really the pleasures at my right hand is what he's talking about. It's, it's, a, it's a picture Jesus is, anybody who heard that would have a picture of heaven. Enter into my rest. Enter into my pleasure. Enter into the good things at my right hand. Just enter into those. And then the one who got one comes before the master and pick up with me at Matthew 25, verse 24. And then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has 10 talents. For listen, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus doesn't just take the Old Testament and say, hey, I'm going to do something new. You'll be completely forgiven. You'll be assured of God's love. Jesus is dealing with people's disobedience right there and then in his culture. 
And by telling the story, he's giving the picture. The picture he gives for the servant who had won, who had been given something, was that they'd be cast away. There'd be separation from God. There would be darkness. There would be weeping. There would be gnashing of teeth. This is an Old Testament descriptive picture of hell. And can you imagine someday, the scriptures say that every knee will bow, whether they believed in God or not, every tongue will confess that Jesus, you are Lord on heaven and earth and under the earth. And, and at that time, at that judgment, can you imagine God saying, human being, listen to me, human, I gave you some abilities. Did you leverage those for my kingdom? Did you put your faith and trust in me? And they say, no, I, I, was, I was afraid, God. I was, I was selfish, God. I just kept it all to myself. I, I actually just used it to, to serve myself. I wanted my fame. I wanted my popularity. I, I wanted my notoriety. I, I wanted my kingdom built. And he's going to say, out to the darkness where there's weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. He will not say, well done, and turn to the pleasures at my right hand. Do you see the difference? To those who had ears to hear in Jesus' day, they might suddenly realize in that moment that, you know what? In our worship, we've been carrying on with business as usual, and it's hollow. And God requires, when he's given us abilities that we're to use them for his kingdom, when you and I give leftovers with what he has given us, we end up showing contempt for God but you've got talents, you've got abilities to offer to God, amazing ones that I don't have. There's things you can do that I can't do. And God wants you to leverage them in a way that makes a difference to serve and volunteer and honor him. So I'm gonna invite my friend up. I'm gonna invite up Preston Nye. He's gonna come on up here. We give a hand to Preston. And Preston, uh, before you get going here, before you get going, I uh, just want to say, um, how long have you been involved in gymnastics? Ever since three. So you were three, and how old are you now? Nine. You're nine. Awesome. So uh, Preston's going to show us, this is called the mushroom, and you're going to show us uh, what you can do with it. It's a practice instrument for what discipline? The pommel horse. All right, give it up for Preston Nye. Yeah, come on, give it up. That's good stuff. Look at that. Ten. Ten. That's what I would say. Preston, before you escape, before you get away, uh, I just got a couple of questions for you. Now, has this always been easy for you, or have you had to work at this? You've had to work at it, haven't you? And um, have you ever experienced injury? Have you had any troubles or things you had to persevere or overcome? On another you have, and then you had a pretty major uh, elbow injury, didn't you? And you had to overcome that, strengthen it back, get through it. You had to have surgery on that? You did. So it's not just been simple for you. You've actually had to invest and do a lot of things to get to this point. My friend, awesome. Thanks so much. Enjoy it. And Preston's right here in our ministry. His family serves uh, in that. His, uh, he's got two older brothers. All three of them are gymnasts. His oldest brother just won the NCAA championship in Pommel at University of Illinois. He's 17, the youngest NCAA champion ever. We give it up for that. Thank you, Penny and Pete and your family and Cameron. Good to see you as well. 
but we have abilities and we have talents and, and God has given something that you can do that nobody else can do. And it may not be gymnastics, but God is asking you to stick to it, to persevere, to give me that which cost you and, and to do something great where he's going to get praise and honor and glory for himself. It's going to be costly at times for us. And we ask the question, how have we shown contempt for God on your outline? Here's the answer. How have I defiled you? It's I haven't used my talents to serve the Lord. I've kept them to myself, and my worship has become hollow. That's what happens to us, right? Would you guys like to see me do this? Yeah. I was afraid you were going to say that. This is, what, this is what most of us do. This is what I would do if I had to do palm a horse. I'd get on there, and I'd be like... <sighs> okay? And, and this is what we do. Some of us are like, God, you gave me this gift. I, I can do this, but you know what? I'm going to keep it to myself. I, I'm, gonna just, I'm afraid, God. I'm afraid I might fail. I'm afraid I might not persevere. I'm afraid it might cost me, me too much. God, I'm afraid. I, I, I know that you're a demanding God, and, and I don't know if I'm the right person to do it, even though you gave me this ability. And God, I'm going to keep it to myself. And God, I'd rather just keep these resources and everything for myself and my family and my abilities just to serve my kingdom. You think if, if Brandon came up and did this, we'd say, hey, well done, son. <laughs> no. But some of us are living like that with our abilities. And we still want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little, now be faithful with much. And God's going to say to some of us, you never leverage what you had. You always defiled, show contempt for me because you offered me that which cost you nothing. And God's going to deal with our time, our treasure, our talents, our talk, and our testimony in these series, and he's going to address those issues in us and among us, and, and that's what, what God does. He wants us to be assured of his love that he himself, the scriptures say, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. God said, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. We hadn't performed yet. We hadn't done anything yet. We didn't deserve it. We were his enemy. But God gave his first and his best, his firstborn, unblemished, spotless, sinless son, Jesus. God said, that's an example of my love for you while you were an enemy. I gave Jesus before you were born so that when you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, you can have a right standing with God. And the beautiful thing is when we have a right standing with God, then we say, I will leverage my abilities because you modeled it first, because you reassured me of your love. And God, when I get caught up with life, when I get caught up with business, when I get caught up with the, the issues of my career and my family and everything else, God, I, sometimes I begin to show contempt for your name. Sometimes I offer to you defiled sacrifices. And God today is not here to condemn you, but to assure you that the way to love him back is by leveraging your talents and your abilities. I believe that God wants to assure you of his love. I believe that he wants to address as well our disobedience. Some of you in this room, you say, you know, I have served. I, I served a lot. I served in the past. And when you talk about serving the Lord, it's always in past tense. And I got to be honest, for some of you right now, I believe that if you were to listen to the Holy Spirit, if you just quieted down, I believe God's Holy Spirit might say to you, what? have you done for me lately? 
What are you doing right now? That's great you served in that way in the past. That's great you were involved. I love Don and Linda, two of our volunteers in the children's ministry. They worked in the children's ministry for a long, long time. But Don, because he used to resurface gym floors, his hands can't do. He doesn't have the strength, and, and it's painful uh, arthritically for him. And so he can't do what he used to do in children's ministry. In fact, they said, you know what? Listen, we're, we're, just, we're aging out. We just, our bodies can't do it. So, so we're going to not stop. They didn't say we're going to stop serving. They said, so we're going to hand out candy to your kids. You know what I'm talking about now? Don and Linda, they're like the sweetest people ever. But what they do is they'll hand out, like, they'll say, we're still serving, but we gotta, my, my body won't let me serve how we used to or how we want to, but we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to leverage what we have right now for the Lord. They don't talk about their service in past tense. And I love it because you just see the, the light of Christ shining through them. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says this, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does that tell me? That tells me before you were born, while you were being created, God said, I have work specifically for you to do. I have some things that only you can do. I have some things where you can serve and leverage your abilities. I have some things that I'll put in your passions, your heart, that are going to be for you to do, and I want you to serve. And it's going to be costly, but I want you to do it. See, we don't do good works to get God's approval. We've received God's approval through Jesus. And now we respond in love, and love is sacrificial, isn't it? And that's what we do. Here's what I want. In your program right now, real quick, take out, there's a flyer, and it looks like this. It's called First Serve Opportunities. And what I want you to do is there, I want you to put your name. I want you to go ahead and put your... Uh, your phone and your email and here's what I want if you're already serving in the area you just say I'm in and you just click which area check which area you're serving in if you're not this is just informative for you so that you can see what opportunities are available so what I want you to do is fill it out and I want you to check which one you might have some more interest in serving in and we would like to get in contact with you and again we want to be as available to you as you're willing to but we have some needs this summer you may say where do I start and this is how serving happens. Serving happens sometimes in an area that specifically is your giftedness. It's like, hey, I am wired to do that. But let me be honest. Sometimes serving means we just need a, a pair of hands who are willing to do that. We just need to get our hands dirty. And so sometimes we serve right in the area of our ability and our shape and our interests. But other times we just say, I will do it. That needs doing, I'll step up. I'll step up to the plate and I'll do that. And let me be honest with you, some of the people in the room, I, I hear this a lot. I hear, I love our church. I love that our church is making a difference in Elk Grove. I love that we're putting shoes in all the, the kids in Title I schools, all 13 of them. We put over 2,200 pairs of shoes on kids this last year, and your sacrifice, your giving was great for that. And, and, and I hear people saying, I love the shoe drive. I love that we send kids to camp, and we do fireworks vouchers, and we help kids go to a place where they can hear about Jesus. I love in our church, so you know, that so many of you have stepped up on a monthly basis to sponsor a child in India. And let me tell you, in India, it is making a difference that these kids are being rescued out of sex trafficking, that they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to be fed, to get a uniform, to even just have a, a chance to make decisions in their lives, which most of them don't have that opportunity. And not only that, but have a future because of education. And you are making a difference. But there's many of us in this room who would say, I love that our church does all that. I just never do any of it. But I'm proud of my church, but I just don't do it. 
And we, sometimes we can, we can feel like we're sacrificing. We can feel like we're part of something. We can feel like we're giving. But the reality is you're offering to God what costs you nothing. And I would just challenge you, if God's Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, that you begin to consider, God, how would you have me leverage what I have, my abilities, to serve you? And I think you will be greatly blessed just to see what God could do. Could you imagine if for just a moment, could you imagine if one of us, even just one of us, put into play what happens when we use our gifts and how it would impact other people around us? Will you watch this video? We can create a chain reaction. We'll use our ping pong balls. Now all these mousetraps are the atoms that will be in the game. They are set and ready to go. To start the chain reaction, all we need is one neutron. It has to trigger just one trap. The ping pong balls that are released will set off two other traps. And then we'll have four balls flying to trigger more traps. I think you can see what is going to happen. Watch. see what is going to happen. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good stuff. Let me just tell you, could you imagine what the church unleashed would look like? Could you imagine what a change agent in the world it would look like? And I got to tell you that when you and I sacrifice, it's such a short season, it's such a short time. It is simply in this life and it earns reward for us in heaven, which can never perish or spoil or fade. It's such a short-term investment for such a long return. And I want you to understand that God wants you to be activated. And what a difference it would make in our lives and in the lives of people in Elk Grove. But none of it makes a difference unless you understand first that Jesus died for you. That you could have the forgiveness of your sins by giving faith. The first gift we give, the first talent we offer up, is all that we are. All you have to give is you. Your stuff could get robbed. It could burn. It could go away. None of us take it with us. Our abilities wear out, but all we have to give first is us. And if today you're realizing because of what Jesus did on the cross that you want to enter into relationship with God, to say, God, I want to not show contempt for you, but I want to come to you and receive forgiveness for all my sins then you simply pray a prayer just with your heads bowed just a moment, your eyes closed, so you're just thinking about your own life. But if that's you today, you pray a prayer like this. Jesus, this morning I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and to make me a new creation. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were the final sacrifice. You were the only acceptable sacrifice but I believe that you now offer that righteousness, that cleansing to me. And so God, I receive it. I believe you were buried in the grave and that you rose to new life because you're God. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, 
visit our website at sungrove.org.